with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in a place like this, in a setting like this, where we can sing about that name, the name that is above every name, the name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And I pray that every single person that is here today, every single person that's watching at home, I want to have a moment right now where they sense and feel the need to live and surrender their life to that name of Jesus. What an honor it is to come to a place like this and worship your name. That that your name, the name of Jesus, doesn't have to be worshiped in a specific place with a specific architecture, with a specific design and purpose. That a movie theater can become a sanctuary for the praise of Jesus. And we thank you for that opportunity. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, you can be seated this morning. I want to welcome you to Grace Hill. I am so glad that you're here today. Uh, my name's Jason. I'm the pastor here. And it's an honor to have you with us this morning. It's an honor to have you worshiping with us today. And I want to encourage you, if this is your first time here, hopefully you got a handout when you walked in. And if this is your first time here this morning, what I want you to do is I want you to take that handout, tear it off throughout sometime through the course of the morning service, and uh, drop it off, fill it out, and drop it off in the offering boxes as you leave and just kind of out the theater doors. There's two boxes set up there. You can uh, drop your uh, connect card there. We'd love to know also, maybe you come here regularly, uh, but you've got a prayer need going on in your life. We'd love to be able to uh, know how we can pray for you and our prayer team would love to know that as well. So I want to encourage you to take that. There's also some good information in the handout today. So I want to encourage you to take that and uh, have that with you this morning. So a couple of things I want to make sure that uh, we celebrate. First is last Sunday was Easter Sunday. And it was a great day, Resurrection Sunday, a great day to worship, to celebrate. Uh, We had a full theater. It was so much fun. And I want to thank all of our volunteers uh, that gave up extra time both in the morning uh, and later that afternoon uh, after service was over with to just stick around and help create a space for worship, help create a space where people could hear the good news of Jesus for our kids, all of that. It's incredible. We love our volunteers here at Grace Hill. And I want to encourage you that if you have not taken the step to become a volunteer, uh, do that. I was talking with somebody this morning who said, hey, we're going to take a step and we're going to start getting plugged in. And a great way If you are a volunteer, a great thing that's coming up that I want you to know about, but also a great thing that's coming up if you're not currently serving is next Sunday night, May 1st at 6.30 p.m. at Booyah's, literally just across the parking lot, uh, we're going to be having a volunteer party for all of our volunteers. So no matter what area you serve in, kids ministry, student ministry, you serve in the, the setup team, the loadout team, you're on the prayer team, literally does not matter what team you serve on. We want you there that night. Uh, dinner is on us. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to eat together. We're going to do some team trivia. That I'm telling you, that's going to be a hoot, doing some team tr- team trivia. Uh, And then uh, we're just going to have some time where we're going to make sure that everybody's on the same page about where we're headed, but then also an opportunity just to say thanks. Thanks for going over and above. And so uh, if you want to take a step 
to become a volunteer at Grace Hill, just show up that night. We want you to register. So if you go to gracehill901.com, just right on the homepage there, uh, there's uh, uh, that image is on the homepage and you can click on that image. It'll take you to a registration page. We need to get a head count for dinner, but we want you to take that step and sign up, serve. Kids are welcome. We want everybody there that night. We've got the back room reserved. It's going to be a great night uh, for fellowship, for fun, and uh, just to be able to say thanks. Thanks for what you do because you matter. Uh, another way that we say you matter here around here uh, to other people at Grace Hill is uh, we are partnered with Germantown Elementary School. We have several school partnerships, Germantown Elementary, Carterville High, West Carterville Middle School. Uh, and on Ma uh, May the 6th, we are doing a GES uh, teacher lunch. And we want to make sure that uh, if you've got time that day to come out and to serve, I'm telling you, you will be blessed more than even those teachers will be by our presence. You are going to be blessed to hear some of those teacher stories, uh, to hear from them the difference that our church is making in their lives. And just getting a chance to be in that school uh, is such, uh, it's such a privilege for us to be able to have that partnership. So you've got a few weeks. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Uh, if you can maybe take an early lunch or rearrange your lunch, whatever it is that day, if you work, I'd love for you to drop in. It's a, you can kind of come in for 10, 15 minutes scoot out if you need to. Uh, but you can email Jessica Reisinger. She is our Compassion Ministry Director. Uh, you can email her at jessica at gracehill901.com and uh, she will fill you in on all those details and make sure you get connected and take those next steps. Sound good? Yeah? Okay. All right. I, I, I'm not for sure. Maybe, maybe you're on board with that. We'll, we'll see. We'll keep coming back to it the next couple of weeks, try to make sure uh, you guys get there. Okay. Here's something else that I know uh, is important in the life of our church. Um, it's prayer. And I know just from hearing from so many in our church that we have some folks who are really struggling right now. Uh, they've got family crises they're, they're navigating. They've got some health crises they're navigating. Uh, the, there's a lot of people who are just struggling with just sort of the state of where things are in our world and society. And so here's, here's what I would like to say. I, I'm not going to call you out or anything, but this morning, if, if you would say, hey, you know what? I just need prayer for anything. It doesn't matter. But I just know that I fall in the category that I need prayer. Uh, we as a church family want to come around you this morning and say to you, you matter because we're going to pray and we're going to pray to the Lord, the one whose name is above all names, uh, to meet you in that need, to guide you, to carry you, to comfort you, to potentially heal you if that's what you're asking the Lord to do. And so what I would ask this morning is if you fall into any one of those categories, you just say, I just need prayer. Um, would, would you, I know this is like a bold step. But would you just stand so that we could see you? And what I'm going to ask people to do is come around you to pray for you. So if you find yourself in that spot for any reason, you don't have to give out any details about it. But if you find yourself in that spot, would you just stand right now so that we could come around you and pray for you? Amen. So there's people standing and if you're sitting, what I would encourage you to do is make your way to somebody who is standing. If you're able to, we got plenty of room to move around here. And some of you, you may know the needs of the people that are standing. Some of you may not. But what I would love for you to do is somebody in your group, just sort of self-nominate yourself to be the one that's going to pray and everybody around in that group join together in prayer. And we're just going to take just a few moments here. And we're going to pray. 
We're going to pray that the Lord would meet the need that is present in these individuals' lives this morning. So somebody in your circle, somebody in your group, just kind of say, hey, I'll be more than willing to pray out loud. Maybe get their name if you don't know them and pray for them by name, but just ask the Lord to meet their need. Father, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to pray for one another. Thank you that the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. And Holy Spirit, I would ask this morning that where there is peace that needs to be given, peace is given. Where there is hope that needs to be received this morning, I pray that there would be hope. Where there's healing that needs to happen, Father, we ask that you would heal. And we ask that the God of all comfort and the God of all peace would grant that. We believe it in faith this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can uh, make your way back to your seat. Thank you, Sam, for leading us in worship today. And um, I just, I just want to take a moment and just sort of speak to this. This is what we want to see in our church. Um, and, and what a, an amazing thing that this space that showed, I don't know, uh, probably Sonic or some other movie last night is now in a place that we're praying for one another, praying for needs to be met, praying for hope to be received, praying for healing to happen. And, and I just, I don't, I just don't want us to miss the power of the moment of where God's got us in this unique season and, and how he's stretching our imagination about what is possible with the church. And I just want to say that this is who we want to be. This is who we want to be, that we can pray for one another, we can be in relationship with one another, we can carry one another's burdens. Scripture says we should weep with those who weep and we should mourn with those who mourn. We should certainly rejoice with those who rejoice, but man... I want you to know if you're carrying a burden this morning, you don't have to carry that burden alone. And I don't want you to walk alone. And I promise you there are people in this church who want to come around you and care for you and love you. And I just, once, once again, I want to direct your attention that if you would love to be prayed for uh, again, or maybe you thought, I just didn't stand this time, I just I was afraid to do it. Um, I just want to encourage you, our prayer team is going to be in the lobby. They got the big prayer team banner. Uh, and I want to invite you to go out after the service and uh, to take a moment and receive that grace uh, in that moment uh, from uh, our people and from the Lord, okay? So we are in part two of a new sermon series we just started called Graves in the Gardens. And what we're doing is we've kind of been on this journey through the gospel of Luke for much of this year. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to look at these miracles of Jesus, where Jesus stepped into a variety of different situations, and, and there was a, a grave-like situation, and Jesus rescued that situation and turned it into a garden. And my hope is for us, is these next few weeks, we'll, we'll, have, we'll kind of be revived with hope. And we'll be encouraged to really press in and lean in to be with Jesus, to understand who he is, and, and, and really, in a lot of ways, to grab hold of the hope that we can have in him. 
And so that's my hope and my encouragement uh, as we move through this series, kind of leading us all the way up through uh, the end of May. And so last week we started with the resurrection story uh, right there in the garden where there seemed like there was no hope. And, and, and we, we talked about the fact that what happens when we're disappointed in God? That was that moment when these women showed up at the tomb that day. They were carrying spices to anoint the body of Jesus because they assumed he was still dead. And what happens in our lives? And so if, you've, if you missed last week uh, or you'd like to go back, I want to encourage you to go back and uh, listen to the podcast or you can watch online again if you'd like to do that. All that can be found on our website, gracehill901.com uh, slash media, I believe is the, uh, the tag on that. Uh, but you know, there is a tale as old as time. You know, it's a struggle. Uh, it's a struggle uh, between two things. Almost every movie we watch, almost every book we read, there is this struggle that happens. There's these two sort of forces at work, a force of many times uh, bad or evil and a force of good. Think about it. It's everything from Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader to Maximus and Commodus and Gladiator, to even the struggle between Woody and Buzz at first. There's a, there's a, there's a, a tension there. And the question many times is this, who's got the power or who's in control? And, and what can oftentimes happen, a movie that really surprises us, I mean, takes our breath away and makes us go, oh, okay, I can't spoil that for anybody. A movie that, that happens that the storyline plays out that way is oftentimes this, is that when a main character lays down their power or holds back a certain power that they possess in order for the greater good. Now, that struggle is not just reserved for the big screen. That story plays out in our lives every single day. These forces are at work competing for the life of our soul. You often feel this pull of this power. Now, it may not be as, you know, dramatic sometimes feeling as, you know, uh, Captain America fighting off, you know, Thanos and all of that. It may not feel that way, but there are these forces that are at work. You, you can feel it, this power struggle, this power clash in your environment at work, can't you? You may feel it in a social or a civic setting. Uh, you feel it oftentimes in relationships, in marriage, in friendships. There can be this struggle of power that plays out. Certainly, we see this amplified in our world today, playing out in political circles, and certainly within all the culture wars that so many times Christians can find themselves involved in. And in almost every single case, the struggle comes back to power. And the root of that struggle for power often, if not always, comes back to wrestling with fear. Today, we're going to be looking at an encounter of an unlikely character that he had with Jesus. And the reason this character that we're going to look at today that had this encounter with Jesus is so unlikely is because he's going to teach us about the kind of power that moves Jesus the kind of power that moves the heart of Jesus. And it isn't anything like the kind of power we often find ourselves gravitating towards. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 7. And I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. I want to be reading uh, verses 1 through 10 today. 
When he, that's Jesus, had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to come for you to have to come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated uh, this morning. Now, to sort of set the setting here so we kind of understand what's happening, I want to go through a few important details about the, the context here. The first one is this, is that uh, this guy is a centurion. And you may say, well, what is a centurion? Well, he was a, a member of the Roman army that was tasked, most scholars believe that at this time of Jesus, that he was tasked with commanding roughly about 100 troops. And the, 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 the gospel writer Luke tells us that, that he had a sick servant. And, and this was also a little bit unusual because under Roman law, someone who was a servant and became ill in someone's house to the point of death could actually be put to death. And so it shows us the, the heart in a lot of ways of this centurion that he deeply cares for his servant. And while the text does tell us that he used the money to build uh, the people here that he was kind of responsible in this region, a uh, synagogue for, this is apparently more surprising to us when we read this than what it was actually back then. Uh, this really wasn't out of the ordinary. A lot of times officials in the empire would do things like this, kind of these elaborate things in order to keep the peace and really ultimately win favor with the people so that kind of whatever they needed to get done, they could get done. What is surprising about this, though, is the posture that he takes with his request to Jesus. He sends people out to request that Jesus heal his servant. It says when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. Now I want you to think about everything I just said about this guy. He's a centurion. He's responsible and tasked to lead a hundred people uh, who are in the army. He's tasked with sort of uh, enforcing the empire in this area and keeping the peace. And to a obscure Jewish rabbi, this man of great authority and of great power requests that Jesus come and heal his servant. I began to think about this this week, and I was like, I wonder how many times this guy makes a request versus makes an order 
or gives a command. And yet there was something about Jesus. Now again, Capernaum here had sort of become by this point, Jesus's home base. This was sort of like, you know, global headquarters of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. You know, this, this is what this had turned into. And so again, this wasn't some giant, you know, metropolis city. It was a good sized city. But, but more than likely, the centurion had heard about the teachings of Jesus. More than likely, the centurion had probably heard of the miracles that Jesus had been performing in this area, and he requested that Jesus come. And the tension in the text this morning is between the posture the centurion takes with Jesus and the way the people communicate with Jesus about why he should heal the sick servant. It says in verse four, when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is what? Worthy. He's worthy for you to grant this. Why? Well, because he loves our nation and he's built us a synagogue. And they say he's worthy. Why? For three reasons. There's one unspoken. Hey, this dude's important because he's got authority. This guy's charged with keeping the peace. He's got a hundred military personnel walking around. This, this guy's important. That's the unspoken thing. But they say two spoken things too. He loves our nation and he's done a good thing for us. And you know, it's a powerful thought to think that this centurion who built this synagogue, it might've been the very same synagogue that Jesus often found himself teaching in in Capernaum. It's just an interesting thing to think about as we look at this text. And, and I would imagine, too, there was certainly a lot of pressure this group of people felt in order, uh, uh, in the moment, to make their case, to plead their case before Jesus. Why? I'd be asking myself this question if I was one of those elders. What happens if Jesus doesn't come and heal him? So they state the best case they can as to why Jesus should do this. And there is certainly at least a, a hint here. It's not just like out loud in the text, but there's certainly a hint of this here. And this can be a hint, same sort of feeling I take when I go to Jesus. And that is this, Jesus, you owe it to him. Jesus, you, you, you owe this to him. Look at all of that he's done. Look at the, look at the authority that he has. Jesus, you, you owe this to him. And I can feel the same way sometimes. Jesus, Jesus, I, I, I deserve this. Look at, look at what I'm trying to do for you. Look at the way I'm trying to live my life. Look at the, look at the things that I'm trying to do, Jesus. You, you owe me this. They might have been saying, after all, he is a powerful man. And he seems to love our nation. And he's certainly done some good things for us. And so this gets to the heart of the message this morning. And I want you to track with me for just a moment as we kind of walk through this. And what I hope is going to happen is you're going to see two things. You're going to see sort of two power struggles that happen in our world. And, and what I hope you'll do is you'll identify which of these that, that, that your heart sort of naturally goes to, naturally sort of pulls to, and then hopefully you'll be pulled to one that what, we, what we're going to see in Scripture today that I think is really gets after the heart of Jesus, really moves the heart of Jesus. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of steps to take at the end of the message today 
to try to help equip this and form this, deeply form this in your life. And so the, the first thing here that we want to look at is this, is that there is a power that the world really does hunger for. There is a power that exists in our world that the world hungers for. A couple of scriptures here to, to kind of point this out. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the forces, the, the, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And what I would encourage you to do is to draw a circle around yourself as we think about this. Because it's so easy to read texts like that, and it's so easy to think about an idea like this and go, yeah, those people. But what about your heart? What's happening in your heart? What's the struggle against not flesh and blood? but against the rulers and the powers, against the world forces of this darkness that exists, the darkness that is maybe around you and that can even creep in and tempt you in your life. The Apostle John gives us this idea in 1 John 5. He says this, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There is a power that the world longs for, hungers for, and is drawn towards. And just out of this text alone, this Luke 7 text, we can see this so brilliantly and brightly shining for us, don't we? You see, there's the power of the world, and there's a few characteristics in this text that go along with that. The first one is this, is that the power of the world craves an important position or title or authority. They said, this guy, he's a centurion, Jesus. The other thing that the, the power of this world looks at and longs for is authority or power over others. You think about the power that this centurion had at his disposal. That at one snap of his fingers, he could command these officers to do good or to do evil. And the world looks at that. The, the world looks at who's got authority over others. Oh, we're going we're gonna to lean into that. We crave that. We hunger for that. We long for that. Our hearts, we want to rule and, and have authority over other people. And then number three that we see from this text is this, is that it's doing good deeds for personal benefit. Now, sometimes that good deed for personal benefit can make us look better. But how many times is it that we look at others trying to do good deeds for our personal benefit? And we long to latch ourselves to that power. It doesn't matter what it might do to other people as long as it benefits me. And that is a power of the world. That's a power that is a force of evil at the world, in the world if it's used for those purposes. You see, the desire for the power of this world will always bring about grave into our souls. You think about the, the first story that we see in Scripture. God creates the world. Everything is beautiful. Everything is perfect. And what is it? 
It's a desire to have power, to have control. And we get a picture of this in Genesis 3. It says this, this is the servant speaking to Eve. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, speaking of this fruit, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And this power struggle has been going on ever since, has it not? The desire to have control, the desire to have authority, the desire to have status, the desire to have a place in this world, the desire to either do good, do good deeds so that it looks good for me and others think well of me, or the desire to put someone in a position of authority and power so that it benefits me. That has been going on since the first story in the Bible. So there's a, there's a power play at work, and there's a type of power that the world longs for, but there is also a power that the heart of Jesus recognizes, and it is a power that comes from faith. And you say, well, what is faith? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a, a beautiful picture, a summary into what faith, spiritual faith is. He says this, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. The reality of what is hoped for. The proof or evidence of what is not seen. And so how does this power of the kingdom play? What is so radically different about the power of the kingdom, this other power that moves the heart of Jesus? What does it look like? Well, this kingdom power is first and foremost from this text, it's humble. The, the, the centurion, this man with authority, with, with power, with status, with prestige, with favor with the people says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. And we don't have time to go into it, but, but we were, they were much more of a sort of hospitable culture than we find ourselves in today and being in someone's home. Uh, was kind of had an elevated status and presence, much more so than it even does today. And this centurion says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my home. The second thing that happens in kingdom power is that in kingdom power, it's not only humble, but it recognizes true authority. That's a true authority is from Jesus. What does the centurion say? All you have to do, Jesus, is what? Just say the word. That is true power. And this centurion would have known about the power of words, right? At his words, he could have commanded a, a hundred people to do anything he wanted them to do. He understood the power of a word. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. All I know that you need to do is just say the word. You see, kingdom power recognizes that power doesn't come from within ourselves. 
It doesn't come from within our own strength. It doesn't come from within our own might. It doesn't come from within our own status. That true power, that true authority comes from recognizing who the one is that we were singing about earlier. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name that is above all names. And the last one is this. And this, is, this really gets to the heart of the matter of kingdom power. And that is this, is that is trusting God with the outcome. Trusting God with the outcome. Taking a, the, the kingdom power is humble. Lord, all you have to do is say the word. That's it. That's all you have to do. And Lord, I recognize the true power comes from you, that true authority over this world rests in your hands. And I'm trusting you with the outcome. Now, this doesn't mean it's passive faith. There may be things that in our journey, in our spiritual growth, and our formation, that we're asked or charged or tasked to do. Then we may get a leading, a sense from the Holy Spirit that we need to step in and have this conversation or try to make this situation right or, or take steps and get help in certain areas. It doesn't mean that we just surrender everything to him, but in the end, we, or surrender everything and just go passive. But it does mean we trust God ultimately with outcome. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. And I'm going to surrender this outcome to you and trust you with it. You see, the power in this moment was in the word that Jesus spoke. The centurion wasn't the one that did the healing. But the centurion was the one who had faith. I love this quote from Mother Teresa. And I love learning and studying about Mother Teresa. She's a fascinating woman. She says this. Do ordinary things with extraordinary love. And I think that's true. I think that's right. But I think the mantra of a follower of Jesus should be this. Do everything because of extraordinary love. Do everything that we do in life, no matter what our status, no matter what our position, no matter what authority we may have or power we may have been granted in this world, that everything we do is in light of this extraordinary love that we have encountered in Jesus. Everything you do, do it because of extraordinary love because of what Jesus has already done. We follow our king, the one that we sing about, the one that we say your name is above all names. That king had his victory march on the back of a donkey. And ask us to remember him, not with grand celebrations, although, man, we get together and, and we sing songs and we, we encourage one another through times of worship and prayer and all of those but he asked us to remember him with what? Bread and the cup. To remember this moment that changed history with two things that are as common as the air that we breathe. Everything we do in life, we do out of love for King Jesus. No matter what our titles, no matter what our roles, no matter what our status in this world may be, we do those things Viewed sometimes, yes, big, and they're important. And yes, sometimes even small and obscure 
out of and because of the love of Jesus. So here's what I want to say. I want to speak to one maybe group of people here in the room for just a moment. If you are someone who has power, a title, status, and authority, that's okay. We need godly men and women to be in all areas of life and lead those areas well. So no matter what job position you have, no matter what title you have, if you've been given authority, power, title, status, God has placed you in that spot to model this kingdom power for the people that you lead and serve. He has literally given you a platform to, to demonstrate this countercultural power that is a kingdom power from King Jesus. But I also want to say this, is it doesn't matter if you have an important title or not. Anyone, this is the good news of, of, of the gospel, is that anyone can have access to this kind of power. It doesn't take education. It doesn't take degrees. It doesn't take years of being in a career. It doesn't take sort of climbing the corporate ladder to have access to this kind of power. This is the kind of power that comes from being cultivated and rooted in faith in Jesus, not from titles, status, and positional authority. So so the question becomes for all of us this morning then is this, so how do we cultivate this faith? How do we cultivate this in our lives? Well, quickly, I want to walk through three ways that I think we can cultivate this in our life. The first one is this, is to just simply be with Jesus. Simply be with Jesus. Sit at his feet. We we looked at the story of Mary just a few weeks ago. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Learning, hearing, being guided, growing, being formed in the way of King Jesus. And we at Grace Hill, we have an incredible resource, and I probably don't talk about it enough, but we have an incredible resource here called Right Now Media that we make available to every single person in the life of our church. And it is essentially, uh, I know Netflix got a little bit of a bad rap this week, so it's like the Amazon Prime Video or Disney Plus or Netflix, I don't know, whatever, whatever streaming service you like. It's like that for content to form your life and be rooted deep in Jesus. And so if you go to gracehill901.com slash right now media, if you don't have, you can take a picture of this if you want. You literally, you, there's a link there, you click on it, you can sign up for a free account and you're off to the races. Doesn't cost a dime. And this morning, I want to highlight two different studies that have recently been released that I think will form us in ways. And they're right there on that page. But I want to, I want to highlight those two this morning in the service. So we're going to watch a couple of trailers for these studies real quick. Some people know God only philosophically. He's a concept. Other people know God informationally, but God is after so much more than that. 
all through the Bible, the one ingredient you need if you're serious about getting to know God is a passion for it. You gotta want it. If you don't know God, if you're not pursuing the knowledge of God, that means your life is not being lived for the purpose you were created. We regularly hear people say, well, I want to know God's will for my life who aren't pursuing the person of God. Don't go looking for the plan. Look for the planner. And the Holy Spirit's job is to turn up the light so that you see God more clearly and experience him more personally. When you are growing in your knowledge of God, the life of Christ is going to be reproduced in you. The Bible calls it the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Your God who wants to get to know you will use a crisis for deliverance so that you get to see him and so that you understand that his wisdom is greater than your knowledge. I want you to come out of this series with a fire that says to God, I want to know you. I want to draw near to you. I want to experience you. I want to abide with you. I want to get close to you. I want to fulfill the purpose that you have. I want to hear from you. So we are embarking on one of the most important studies I will ever teach. We're going to cover the entire Bible, what it's about, the different books, why it's confusing, and why you open it in a random place and you don't understand what you're reading and studying. We're going to change that in six weeks. History teaches us the mistakes, successes, wins, and failures of those who have gone before us. More importantly, the wise will read this and apply the lessons that the children of God missed. These books tell us that God is faithful to his covenant. They show us who Jesus is, what Jesus is about, his words, his ways, his work. See, our God did not want to leave us alone. So he left us not just with the Holy Spirit. He left us with this book. And what he wanted from them was for them to love him with all their heart. But if you keep reading, ooh, it doesn't go that way, right? <laughs> it reminds me that Following the Lord is simple but hard. Ugh. Jesus is God and came to earth to rescue us. What this means for us today is that we aren't much different than our Hebrew homies. They sinned and turned their back against God, and guess what? So do we. You will feel like all of a sudden, instead of having to go to other people to give you God, you get to go yourself to the Word of God and understand it. So come on, let's do this the greatest book that has ever been written. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. You're sitting next to somebody that probably needs to do one of these things as well. And just kind of tap their elbow and say, hey, let's do this together. Find somebody here in the room that you know that you just enjoy hanging out with, you just enjoy grabbing coffee with something, and just say, hey, let's meet once a week. And, and, and let's just meet over coffee or lunch. Get a group of folks together and just say, hey, let's talk about this. What's God forming in your life through this study? So that's the first thing. GraceHill901.com slash right now media. Go check it out. But be with Jesus. The second one is this, is recognize the power 
of Jesus. Recognize the power of Jesus that that so much has already been accomplished. We just celebrated it last week. That he is the one who is in authority. And when we live our lives in view of that, in view, as Paul said, of the mercies of God, it creates faith in us. It begins to challenge us. It begins to shave off those rough edges because we realize, God, I'm, I'm yielding myself to you. The third one is this, is trust Jesus with the outcome. This is faith in action. God, I'm going to make that call because I know it's the right thing to do. God, I'm going to have that conversation even though it's going to be hard. God, I'm going to, I'm going to make that appointment and I'm going to hear maybe good news or bad news. And God, I'm going to get my, as Bianca said, she'll have you in stitches, I promise you, if you watch it. She's so funny. I'm going to get my, my non-Hebrew homies together and we're going to pray but I'm gonna trust you with the outcome. I'm gonna put it in your hands. And I'm gonna put my faith in action. You see, when you begin to trust Jesus with the outcome, it begins to help release and let go of some of the fear that you carry. And notice what I said, some of. Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. But what do you say? Take heart. I've overcome the world. Remember, and I say this all the time, we can trust what Jesus will do. Eventually, I'm going to say it enough, you're going to be able to say it back to me. We can trust what Jesus will do. Why? Because we know what Jesus has already done. And he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. He's defeated the grave. He's given you hope and life and restoration back into relationship with God. So who else would we want to trust with the outcome other than King Jesus? You see, it was not the centurion's authority that moved the heart of Jesus. It was the centurion's faith. See, Jesus turns our graves of worldly power, these things we crave, these things we look to, the things we long for. He turns those graves of worldly power into gardens of kingdom power that in turn are used to accomplish his purposes. What? Through faith. Not through power. Not through might. Not through authority. But through faith. Father, we love you. And I pray for us this morning. I know that we are all wrestling in our world, our life, our circumstances with this. And I pray this morning you would give us the hope that we have in you. And we would would turn away from this craving, this longing for worldly power that can sometimes be so easy, but yet at the same time, it feels so out of reach. And when we'd set our hearts on embracing and living kingdom power and accomplishing your purposes through faith. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, thanks for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We really hope you found this message compelling and inviting. If you'd like to connect with someone to find out more about Grace Hill Church, or maybe discuss this episode or something else about life or faith, please don't hesitate to reach out to us directly at gracehill901.com. We'd really love to connect and discuss anything with you. And please remember, you matter. You matter.